I was witnessing to a Mormon missionary. I opened my Bible to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I said, hey, you know, what do you, what do you think of this? For by works have you been saved through great efforts and that completely of yourselves. It is your reward from God as a result of your labor, giving you reason to boast. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, that sounds right. And I was like, I was not expecting that response. I was expecting him to go, well, obviously it says the opposite. And I was going to say, well, I remember what you said. Exactly, because that's what you do to the Word of God. Right. You distort it. And I said, that's ex- I said, exactly, that sounds to you, that sounds right to you, because that's what you've done to God's Word. You, you've twisted it so much that when it actually says the exact opposite, you know, the opposite that I render to you sounds like normal. So, Ray, as we were sitting here getting ready for the podcast, you mentioned a new book of yours that was just translated into Spanish. In English, it's called Jesus in Red. You told us the title of it in Spanish. What What did you say, Ray, the title is? I botched it. it was, I got the Jesus part right. But How I do you didn't... say Jesus in Spanish, first of all? Jesus. Okay, Jesus. De... In? In. 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 And what's the, what's the next word? Uh, um, La Jolla. <laughs> you can't even remember. He said Rojo. Rojo. I'm Rojo. Seriously. Hey, that was good. Rojo. Rojo. Si. You got it. You got to roll Rojo. the R. Bueno. Bueno. But the, I've always been intrigued. To me, one of the most intriguing things in the world is hearing a New Zealander try to speak Spanish with a New Zealand accent. Does me gusta comer burrito. Just just so that everybody knows, anytime Easy breaks out in a, a quote unquote easy New Zealand accent, Ray's eyes just slowly roll behind his head and he goes into like a trance. Well, my eyes get soaked into a great big sinkhole of nausea. <laughs> but Oscar, you have to admit. Uh, that was pretty brilliant. It was, it was and something. And my guest, Kamara Beretai, Tycho Bell. Oscar, wait, tell our friends a story you just told us about your grandma. Oh, yeah. So she lives near a major street called Geronimo. And in Spanish, the J is pronounced like an H. And so when she used to give people directions, this is before like Google Maps was super popular, she would tell them, turn left after Hiranimo. So people would get lost. They'd be driving down the street for miles looking for this H street when it was J. Geronimo. I love it. Hiranimo. Hiranimo. Today uh, on the podcast, we're going to talk about good works. You know, I'm sure as, as soon as I said good works, red flags went up immediately. I think we've been trained to do that because of how good works have been obviously twisted and abused by cults and false religions as a means uh, toward earning salvation. salvation yeah. So today I, I want us to talk about that because it's a very important scriptural truth. Good works uh, are very, very, very biblical. In fact, I think a good title for this podcast would be Good Works Are Good Words. Ooh. Hey, you like? I don't get it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one day you will. At one of Mark's insurance conferences, oh, okay. he'll explain it to you. But uh, let's talk about that, guys. Uh, Ray, please stop playing with your phone. Mark, stop watching football. <laughs> what is the deal, Oscar? <laughs> paying attention so beautifully. 
So, Ray, uh, good works. How important are they in the life of the Christian? Um, I, I think that it's very relevant. The wording used in Scripture, uh, I think it's in the Book of Hebrews, where it says, "Be careful, <laughs> be careful to maintain good works." And the reason, the reason we should be careful to maintain good works is because once you realize you're saved by grace through faith without work, you can tend to think they're not necessary, but they should issue from the Christian. Mm. It's like if you've got batteries in your flashlight, the light will shine. And if you're genuinely regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you should let your light shine through good works. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So good works are... a evidence that we're genuinely saved. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Ray, in fact, you, you cited uh, Titus 3. Uh, yeah, that's there. what I said. Uh, <laughs> First <laughs> 8. Ray, you've done that from the pulpit, haven't you? Maybe Many you go times. to quote a, a verse. You don't Many times. Yes. Uh, in the book of... <laughs> Did that just pop in it your head on it? Her, her, it's a cough, usually. And but, in the book of... <laughs> No, it's sounds actually, Scottish. I'm sorry, it's more subtle than that. <laughs> in the book of... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just more subtle. It's just... Uh, it's, that's from the book of... <laughs> Let's carry on. <laughs> and he thinks it's deceiving. <laughs> like, everyone's sitting there going... Yeah. Uh, so Titus, Titus 3, 3, 3, 8. Let me read this first. I, used, I often use this when I'm sharing the gospel with Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses because it, it perfectly shows the balance... Of, of how good works and salvation by grace work. So Titus 3, 3 through 8, Paul says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So note that. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, so again, not by good works which we have been done, which we have done, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then he says this, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who believe in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Right. I mean, isn't that beautiful? It's like the full balance. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he saved us uh, through, through his mercy. And then he says, but be the kind of person who affirms these things constantly, that those who have believed in God, who have been saved by grace and his mercy, that they should maintain good works, keep them up. Why these things are good and profitable? In Mormonism, in Second Nephi, it tells us that uh, we're saved by grace after all that we can do. Right. Ooh. But I like easy, and I wish you would take just a moment to share with the people listening, all three of them, <laughs> Not how many. you re-render, how you rework Ephesians two eight through nine. Yeah. I didn't know if you plan on doing that yeah. or not. So, Maybe say the quote, and then how do you share, share it with Mormons? Just before you say it, the all three of them is just us guys in here. <laughs> We're the only ones listening. Well, you guys don't listen. Uh, Ephesians Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is actually another, another great example of what I'm talking about. Again, the balance. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and then we forget about verse 10. So, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And then the next verse, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, completely clear. But then he says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But wait a minute. So now how do you quote that to an LDS member? So so yeah, one time, the first time I did it, I was witnessing a, a Mormon missionary. I opened my Bible to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And I said, hey, you know, what do you, what do you think of this? For by works have you been saved through great efforts and that completely of yourselves. It is your reward from God as a result of your labor, giving you reason to boast. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, that sounds right. And I was like, I was not expecting that response. I was expecting him to go, well, obviously it says the opposite. And I was going to say, well, I remember what you said. Exactly, because that's what you do to the Word of God. Right. You distort it. And I said, that's ex- I said, exactly, that sounds to you, that sounds right to you, because that's what you've done to God's Word. You, you've twisted it so much that when it actually says the exact opposite, you know, the opposite that I rendered to you sounds like normal. Hmm. And so it, it's so important. I mean, the, the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, yeah. in Christ alone. It's paramount. It's paramount. It's huge. And so is the recognition that when we are saved, the process of sanctification begins. Uh, And and that is a sign of our salvation. I think ultimately for people to understand this well, uh, there's two categories, theological categories, that I think every Christian would do well to, to be able to grasp. The first is justification, and the second is sanctification. And justification is what you would call, what theologians call monergistic. Moner means singular. Some One, one person <coughs> is at work in justification. We are justified, that is, we are saved by grace alone through faith. It is not something that we add or contribute to. It is a work of God alone in our lives. That is justification. That is salvation, and that is his work alone. However, once that happens... God invites you, brings you into, saves you into a process of sanctification. As Christians, we are all growing to become more like who we were meant to be, that is, unfallen image bearers, or uh, to be said simply, we are growing to become more like our Savior Jesus. And so that is the sanctification process, and that happens all throughout our lives, and that process is synergistic. Synergistic means more than one person is at work. In our sanctification process, it is God at work and our efforts at work working together to be sanctified. So like 1 Corinthians 15.10, this is Paul talking, and you get the illusion of his sanctifying process happening here. Something He's like, I'm doing something, but it's God in me doing it. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Then he says, though it was not, but the grace of God within me. So he's like, that's my sanctification. I am working my sanctification, but it is God working sanctification in me. And I think just to round that out, the challenge for, for a, in a lot of places is when those two distinctions, justification and sanctification get mixed up. And they need to be linked together. Think about like two circles, right? Two circles need to be linked together, but they should never overlap. Mm. Because when justification and sanctification begin to overlap like a concentric circle, the, the middle there, which you have, 
is the temptation towards legalism, which is I need to work out my salvation. I am something that I do is either paying off the debt of salvation or contributing to my salvation. Or you discover antinomianism, which is the idea of that, well, Jesus saved me and there's no sanctifying, there's no, there's no evidence, there's no, none of that. I can freely live my life knowing that Jesus has paid the price for all of my sins and I'm moving forward. Those two heretical views happen when we distort justification and sanctification. That's really good, Oscar. You know, when you talked about the synergistic nature of sanctification, it reminded me of Jerry Bridges' wonderful, wonderful illustration. But he talks about the importance of having both dependence and discipline. Because Scripture says to discipline ourselves for godliness. And that's our participation in, in our sanctification. And he talks about an airplane with two wings. And he says, can you imagine being 30,000 feet up in the air? And the pilot comes on and he says, or the captain comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to ditch one of our wings would you prefer the right one or the left one? And uh, that's such a stupid question because an airplane cannot fly with one wing. It doesn't matter if it's the right one or the left one. And so he gives a good point of we need to have both dependence and discipline in our lives as believers in the, in the realm of sanctification. Yeah, that's Makes good. it very plain. I think it's interesting <laughs> to note that uh, anybody can perform a good deed or what seems like a good work, but only a Christian can perform a good work. We are created for good works, and we walk in those works, but God has prepared those works before he created time. When a non-Christian attempts to perform a good work, it is as a filthy rag. Anything and everything that they will do is like that. This is what it says in Isaiah 64, 6. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, KJV. ESV says, all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, right? So we were created for good works, works that he has prepared. We walk in those good works. We're ready for every good work as we prepare our vessel in harmony with his will, that synergistic approach. And then what we do is we trust him for the results. And because he originates with the work, we give our crowns back to him on that day because it's really Christ in you, the hope of glory. But a non-Christian will perform good works. We see celebrities give millions of dollars before they die or they'll do something trying to appease maybe the wrath of God or look good in the eyes of man. But really, there's no concern at the core. Only a Christian can fully be concerned because it is Christ in you who is concerned. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, and here's another demonstration of that balance I'm talking about that Paul brings to bear. This is Titus 2, 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So again, he's talking about the grace of God that saves us, right? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and all worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You know, Ray, the the Bible doesn't use the word zealous very often, especially in the New Testament. We We don't see it very often. But to think that God is saying that he... He has saved us, that he's, he's redeemed us from every lawless deed and purified for himself his own special people, that he wants to be zealous for good works. I mean, again, th- this almost sounds like blasphemy from 
coming from a pulpit. Be zealous. Good works. I mean, as soon as we hear it, whoa, good works. Wait, wait, wait a minute. But Ray, how, how key is that? Zealous for good works. Absolute key. <clears throat> because our good works issue from gratitude, not out of attempt to bribe. Yeah. When you put everything into a courtroom, if a criminal tries to turn the eyes of a judge away from justice by giving him a bribe, that's an abomination. And the Bible says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But if a criminal, after he's been sentenced, turns to the judge and says, Judge, thank you if I can ever do anything for you, then that's coming out of gratitude. It's not bribing because yeah. justice has been done. Um, we often forget the, the power of um, good works in evangelism. First uh, Peter Chapter uh, 7 says, um, 2, 11 through 12. No, 2, 15 says, For so is the will of God that by your well doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I got the right scripture? Uh, I think yeah. you might. Yeah. Anyway, let me share an anecdote that's uh, very interesting. Well, I think it is. We're going to find out any second. Um, I used to have a shop uh, nearly near the heart of the city that, uh, when I moved to that had um, scripture on the front wall, on the front window. <laughs> Uh, John chapter 3, 1 to 16 in three-inch high lettering. It had a big symbol on the side that was a man-centered gospel. Man-centered gospel. And then on the door of my shop, for people to get in, it had the Bible verse in huge, in a huge poster, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I shared a doorway with a barber. Barber gets me in one day and he says, I want to tell you something. He said, I, guys come in and sit in the chair, in the barber chair, and they just talk. He says, normally they would just say, that guy next door is a nut, and they'd be really angry, and that would be the end. We didn't want to and talk they'd be right. Anymore. And they're right. Yeah, absolutely. But he said, since you've got into doing work for drug rehabilitation and drug prevention, going to schools and telling them about, warning them about drugs, publishing books, do this about the whole drug prevention thing, the same guys would come in, sit down, and of their own volition they'd say, doing a good job, that man next door. It's total change. And that was 1 Peter chapter 1 or chapter 2 verse 15. For so is the will of God that by your well-doing you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's what was happening. They were silenced in their accusation because the good work silenced them. And I, I realized this around this time when that guy said that to me. I thought, wow, there's such power. So I said to a local church, let's get involved in vegetable evangelism. And by that, I mean, let's go and buy some vegetables, put them in a big bag and take them to a hundred homes, leave them at the doorways and don't say anything. No, God bless you. We're here to, you know, save your soul. Just say, local church, want to show we love you. If you need your lawns mowed, anything done, just call on us. Left a phone number. We did it to a hundred homes around the church and it was phenomenal response. People call up crying. People wanted to visit the church. Another guy said, I've been in the area for 30 years and the local church has never done anything for me, but this day has been different. And we didn't preach, but our good works put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Very, very powerful. And we can forget about that. Yeah. Wow, Ray. That, yeah, I want to, I want to share something in that regard as well. But the verse, the reason why I jumped in when you mentioned first Peter is because uh, the preceding verses, verses 11 and 12 before 15 uh, are, powerful in this regard. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. <laughs> I mean, that ties in on the context. And that ties in with what Jesus said, Seven of the Mount, they may see your good works and yeah. glorify your Father. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
And how powerful is that? Like unbelievers who would call you evildoers as Christians because they want to slander us. I mean, scripture's clear on that. But when they observe your good works, they, they glorify God in the day of visitation. Why? Because your conduct is honorable among them. And, and what is it that they're observing? Your good works. Again, your good works of living out the, the life of Christ and all that you do. One thing I really w- was leaning f- towards for many years was becoming a Salvation Army officer mm. because I so love the structure of the Salvation Army, their barracks, etc. Uh, they have some doctrines that are a little different and they were too strongly leaning against good works and um, so far removed from what they started as. I mean, when they went to New Zealand, they were despised back in the 1800s because they proclaimed the gospel from street street corners. It was blood and fire. That's what they preached, and then good works came from that. And recently, they have swung to good works, and if the Salvation Army could bring back the blood and fire and preaching off the street corners like they used to do. When I was a kid, I used to see them, very powerful. Um, They would be be a force to be reckoned with. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Mark, I alluded in one of our past podcasts to uh, the fact that... I. I preach a sermon called Representatives of Christ. And in that, I use a, a letter that you were given by your former boss when you were uh, in, in working in the restaurant industry. Um, and it was I use it. I read it because it, I, I use it as an example of how we can impact unbelievers by our good works and what we do. So can you give us some context to that? Well, I think that if you are employed, you should be the best employee that you don't share the gospel while, when you're supposed to be working unless it's break time before or after work. You need to work hard, wholeheartedly. Jesus was known as the carpenter. So you need to be the plumber, the electrician, what, whatever it is. And I worked hard. I would get there early and I would leave late. That's actually how I met my wife. We met at Mimi's Cafe and I would get there uh, before my shift started, and I would help all the workers who needed help. So when my shift started, I was already in the swing of things. Well, my wife needed a lot of help as a server at the time, and that's how we became friends. So there's a key if you want a wife. If you want a wife, <laughs> get there <laughs> Show early. Up early. Right? Work hard. Um, you know, to use another biblical uh, analogy, uh, Scripture says that uh, Jesus is the vine dresser, right? It says Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and the branches are naturally attached to the vine. And from the vine, they get their support and their ability to produce fruit and the very life. And Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, John 15, 5. So this is the purpose of the vineyard, to produce much fruit and good works. They follow salvation, that we will naturally produce good fruit, as we spoke about the other day with our podcast. And I want to be rich in good works. I want to 
bless people. If you want to be blessed, well, then give, right? You want to be first, well, then you must be last. If you want to be great, well, then you must be a servant. And there's this whole paradoxical world in which we live. It's the antithesis of what the world explains to us. We don't have a greater delight in receiving gifts than giving gifts. You give a good gift to someone and then they are genuinely taken back. They're genuinely blessed. It's like, I want to give more good gifts to them and I want to walk in those good works, which God has prepared beforehand. That is just the Christian way. Yeah, It's the way it is. And it doesn't make sense to me. I can't understand it. It's not a contradiction. It is a paradox. And it's within God's economy. It's the way he adds. It's the way he raises up his children. And we must remember, right? It was uh, Randy Elkhorn that said, God does not bless us financially to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. God is never trying to raise finances amongst his people. He's trying to raise his children up. So he's going to do whatever is needed and necessary to get us to walk that straight and narrow path, which includes discomfort. So giving can be very uncomfortable at times as we give just outside of our means, if you would, and as we pay it forward and bless people, knowing that God wants to bless them. And it's a work. It's a good work. It's a good deed. Yeah. Yeah. Mark is too modest to, to say what the letter included, but his boss talked about all the different restaurants he'd worked in over the course of his life and all the young people he had managed. And he said, never in the history of his career did he ever come across anyone as phenomenal as Mark. And what this a testimony. Mark? Yeah, that Mark. And I remember he said, if at any time you need anything, I'm always here for you. I mean, it was like, this guy is a full unbeliever. And yet there was Mark letting his light so shine, you know, among men. And, and that, that, that's such a powerful testimony. I mean, we talk about being careful of friendship evangelism. Hmm. We need to be uh, because we need to proclaim the gospel. But we can't discard that aspect of being a witness yep. like in our lives. It's massive. And let it be known, he blocked me on Facebook because his child is a practicing homosexual and I just spoke out against homosexuality on my Facebook and he said, you're gone. <laughs> so that's how that relationship ended. Yeah. Okay, well, there you have it, folks. Well, I was going to say that seriously, when a Christian lets his light shine in the world, he's letting it shine in the darkness of the world. Mm. Uh, I remember when I gave a, a gift that wasn't anything big to an atheist, uh, she was just blown away because the world doesn't do that. We do it with each other all the time. Yeah. We let our light shine among the light. But when mm. you do it in darkness and you show kindness to un- ungodly neighbors, that can, you know, our, our giving eggs, our chickens lay eggs, we give eggs to the neighbors. That, that's Blessing huge them. for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's worth a thousand sermons. And, and you know, do you know what I, I think is the most powerful testimony to an unbeliever is when they learn that all of those things that we're doing have nothing to do with us trying to earn our salvation. Yeah. So it's like, hey, by the way, and, and that question is asked, why do you do this? Mm-hmm. You know, and well, I'm a Christian. God has saved me. He's redeemed my soul from hell. He's given me the free gift of everlasting life. And now I do this from my salvation, not for my salvation. So that recognition of like, wait, you're not trying to earn something. You're not trying to like... You're doing it, yeah, like you say, Ray, out of gratitude. I mean, you said that to me the other day. You said, everything I do for God, I do out of gratitude. Mm-hmm. It's an expression of, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Um, I want to touch on that for a second uh, because a couple of take years longer. ago. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll take a little bit Three longer. seconds. Um, I'm trying to help you guys avoid an apology video. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, there was a discussion happening in a bunch of theologians about what was coined uh, the debtor's ethic. 
And the debtor's ethic is this idea that we do works because we owe God in the sense that if, if okay, so think about it like this. If somebody gets you, uh, gets you a Christmas present, there's kind of this sense in you where you're like, oh, I should probably get them a Christmas present. Yeah. You owe them because of something they've given to you, right? You're in debt to them in that case. But the challenge with think about it that, thinking about it that way is that we start to slide back into the issue that we were talking about before, which is then we are linking together our works with our salvation. And so the theologians and scholars, what they lean towards is when we say we owe it to God, we don't mean we owe a debt to God that we're now trying to pay off. Uh, because that would be trying to justify our salvation. Instead, we owe God our works in the same way that we owe good music praise, because it's worthy to listen to, right? And God is is has done something so wonderful in our lives that He is worthy of these sacrifices. So we owe it to him because he's worthy of it, not because we're trying to pay something off. Exactly. Very, very good distinction to make. Absolutely. That's right. You know, Mark, you know, years ago when we were pastoring, uh, we had that evangelism team that, where we would go door to door. Right. And one of the things that, that we did was we, we set up a team of guys in the church who were handymen, kind of guys that had those skills that could do, you know, odds and ends around homes. And so we'd go door to door, we'd knock on the door, the person would open the door and we'd say, hi, how you doing? My name is Easy, I'm a, a pastor here in the area, this is my friend so-and-so, and, -so. and uh, we're not here today to get you to come to our church, we're not here today to sell you anything or ask for money, we're here today to let you know that we have a ministry that's set up to serve the community. So if you're putting like a roof on your house or you, you, know, you need some a fence to be put up, you need some gardening work, things like that, we have a team of guys that is set up to come out and help you. Brain there's, surgery? There's yeah, brain surgery. <laughs> Ray Comfort will come and do that. Uh, there's absolutely no charge and no donations accepted. We just want to be a blessing to you. Here's our card. Call us anytime. And they would just, I mean, I had a number of people stand there and go, are you serious? <laughs> like, wait, no, you're not asking for money. You're not, you won't take donations, none accepted, no charge. And then we would say, yeah, and that's it. And, I'd say, and then I'd say, and, you know, we're doing a real, we're also doing a real quick questionnaire today, just three short questions. Would you have a minute? And at that point, you've so disarmed them. They're so blown away that you're willing to do this that they, they do. And then you do the questionnaire and then you share the gospel. And it was, I mean, we went to probably a thousand homes in our area doing that. And it was very, very fruitful. And on top of that, not a lot of people called. We had a few that did and they were super grateful, but, you know, people have their pride, you know, that they, oh, I don't know. But it's still the gesture itself was, it just spoke volumes. Well, well, I have to open, open the door and it's Bill Gates standing there. Oh, we don't take donuts. We take donuts. We don't take donuts. So I, I have to say that during one of these outings, it was uh, May 16th, uh, 1998. Oh. Huh? I, there, I remember because we were, held, there was a house that had caught fire and we were in there cleaning the fire, the walls and everything. And I remember walking in a little bit late thinking this house is about ready to be condemned. There's no way we're gonna be able to clean this thing up. And Laura was there, she was cleaning and we were just friends. Yeah, and Laura, I think at the time was actually living with you and Rachel oh, uh, at the yeah. time. Uh, and she was madly in love with me and I'm right, who could blame her? But she was there I can. and I remember making an announcement saying, listen, 
I, the Titanic is going down. We should stop trying to clean this thing. Anybody interested in going over to A&W as a restaurant and just getting something to eat? And nobody rose their hand except for Laura. <laughs> and she went over there, and that was the day that we first held hands. At the A&W? At the, well, actually, from there, we went to Knott's Jubilation, where Third Day was playing. and uh, But that was the day. It was from that event, though, where it sparked more than just a friendship. So it was a good work. It was a servant. It was, and there's also something else that was going on around the time I knew about, because I was traveling. You started traveling with me. Mark used to take a Bible study. How many ghouls came, Mark? It was a family <laughs> fellowship, a Sunday night, where we'd rediscuss How the many Sunday ghouls evening. Came? There was 21 women that were there. 21 women, and then you announced your engagement. Zero guys. Mark was the only yeah, guy who was the leader. Mark was Mr. Handsome, and he announced his engagement. Next week, there was no girls. <laughs> Not Bible one study. girl showed up for <laughs> my Bible study. I wonder what the motives are. Seriously, Mark, you used to be so good looking when you had a great physique. Used to be. <laughs> Thank you. What happened? Uh, backhanded compliment. Uh, well, I think, uh, I think we've nailed this one, guys, as best we can. And uh, we don't beat dead horses, so you don't mix metaphors like that. Nailing a dead horse, nailing a dead. I know that's terrible, but we hope we hope that you grasp the biblical calling to be a people zealous for good works, and that good works are good words. They're biblical. We just have to understand them in the right context. And uh, what a way not to pay God off, but to show God our gratitude. He saved us and His worthiness, as Oscar mentioned by living in a way that that exalts him and and that reaches people and it's not we're it's not like we're doing this so we can just demonstrate gratitude it's because we have been touched by God's love and we love people and we serve people and through that God is glorified and honored our light shines and God is magnified so evidence bible shameless plug make sure to check it out friends at livingwaters.com again if you're being edified by this podcast uh, there's a lot more where that came from. And as Ray has often said, it contains everything he knows. Are there serial tips in there? Well, there's actually three pages. <laughs> this one's empty. So this is everything you know. Yeah, we have one sitting on the table here that's a blank. It's, there it is. Sent from the publishers. I don't know what it is. It's it was sent from the publishers just to see if we liked it. Yeah. So anyway, but check out the Evidence Bible because uh, it has a lot in there that we believe will really build you up in Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Living Waters podcast. See you next time, Lord willing, here. Ray Comfort, you're raising your hand. No, this is just something I was going to say after you finish, but now I'm going to have to say it because you've asked it. When you say shameless plug, we should have the sound of a plug being pulled. Bloop. And then and you hear a shameless plug. I'm so curious like how that. you expect us to see them. Um. Use your imagination, Oscar. And with that, we will end the podcast. We should work on that. Our endings. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, 
Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters podcast.